Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget podcast. Trigger warning, we're about to spend the next 45 minutes talking Donald Trump. You guys excited? Always. Sure. Uh, <laughs> as usual, I am your host, Terrence O'Brien. Joining me this week on the far left, Nate Ingram. Welcome to the end of the world, folks. Right next to me, Dana Woman. I got out of bed today. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. And to my right, Devendra Hardwar. I'm always angry. Um, <laughs> so we're going to change things up a little bit this week um, because there's a whole lot to unpack and a whole lot to talk about. So we're not doing flame wars. We're not doing our usual debate segment. We're just going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about the election and talking about Donald Trump and his policies and how that's going to affect tech and science. Um, And before we do that, I want to address the listeners and the viewers out there um, and also our readers. If you get irritated by hearing us talk about politics, if you get annoyed about our over our stories about diversity in the tech industry, um, if you are one of the people who screams in the comments that we are uh, you know, liberal elites, social justice. Warriors. You're really not going to like this episode, yeah. um, and you might not like what the site looks like over the next four <laughs> years. Just going to be honest with yeah. you. If you've hated social justice warriors so far, we're going to go full on like Kamehameha. Yeah, and like, if you we want us like, to go back to gadget reviews, we'll talk about gadget reviews next week. Fine, yeah. guys. Yeah, fine. like okay. fine. to be clear, gadget or gadget reviews aren't going away. Um, but I think one of the things that a lot of people in the the media and the tech media in specific have had a lot of trouble dealing with, and a lot of our readers have had a lot of trouble dealing with, is you can't be a niche gadget site anymore. Mm -hmm. Technology permeates everything, and that includes politics. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump is going to have a lot to do with what our tech and science landscape looks like over the next four years. Everything from global warming to internet policy, and all this stuff is really important to talk about. Um, So if you just want, like to hear about the newest Samsung phone or the latest iPhone or something, this is not the episode for you. Um, so with that said, there's a stop button. Go away. Uh, <laughs> if you're down for it, let's get going. Strap let's get going. Um, so I don't think many of us have made any bones about our politics here before. Uh, if you follow me or any of us on Twitter, I think you're all aware that we're a little bit shocked and disappointed by the results of the election. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't want to spend this whole time sort of harping on why we're upset and complaining about things. What's done is done, uh, and it's time to move on. And I think one of the things uh, you've seen a lot in the media, and I think it's worth us spending a little bit of time doing too, is a little bit of this hand-wringing over how we missed it. Um, You know, there's been a lot of talk about how we kind of live in these little bubbles on social media at this point. And, you know, it's something that I started thinking about during the election cycle and tried to start actively getting myself out of. And it's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're on Facebook, it purposely serves you posts that your friends are liking. And most of us probably have friends with at least similar political beliefs. So it's hard to permeate that uh, that wall that's been built up and yeah. see what other people are really thinking. And I, over time, you're probably blocking or like saying, I don't like this sort of content. Yeah. So you're shaping it, too. Yeah. But, you know, there are algorithms shaping how your news is consumed as well. Yeah, and, and, and those algorithms are really important. I think mm-hmm. that's uh, largely part of the problem. Like, as much as I know they're meant to, they're, they're well-intentioned, I think, um, both for the consumer and for uh-huh. the business side of it as well. Uh, I made a conscious decision earlier this year to block a lot of people on Facebook. <laughs> Not unfriend them, but block them, because I was not really feeling like seeing their updates in my feed. Um, They were saying objectively atrocious and horrible things, uh, and I 
blocked them because I was like, I don't have the, um, I don't have it in me emotionally to deal with this. Your right? mental they, health is more important than <laughs> seeing everyone's horrible things on Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. Were, were they like <laughs> friends or like randos? Uh, most of them were friends. Um, okay. I mean, some of them were like distant acquaintances mm. or like family friends that I don't really talk to much anymore yeah. or something like that. But some of them were good friends of mine um, or even like good family friends, people that I grew up with. Uh, and then a couple of months ago, I made the very conscious decision to do the exact opposite <laughs> and unblock all of them. And I was like, you know what? It's dumb that I live in this bubble. I'm going to mm-hmm. try and start engaging with people. And you know... How'd that go? Uh, it didn't make much of a difference to my Facebook feed. Huh. I rarely saw these posts still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think that speaks to the problem of the algorithm. I went out of my way to engage with people who I disagreed with politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in hopes that Maybe I'd grow to understand their point of view a little bit. Maybe they, I could show, teach them a little bit about empathy uh, and understanding the other side as well. And it just didn't happen because they weren't cropping up. I mean, everything that you're saying, though, seems to me to speak to a bigger problem, which is that nobody wants to have a sort of reasonable discussion anymore. If you look at, like, the, I think people have been posting this over and over again, the letter that George H.W. Bush wrote to Bill Clinton. Like, this is how we used to deal with mm-hmm. uh, transfers of power and disagreeing with people. And, you know, uh, President Obama said the same thing yesterday about how George W. Bush's administration worked with them to have a really seamless and peaceful transition. And regardless of what you think of W's administration, like that the fact that we all need to work together on these things is just being lost, I think, outside of, you know, the White House. Like we are yeah. just not like people, normal people on the Internet do not want to consider the other point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, trying to fight against that instinct is really smart. But so many people just don't want to do it. I mean, I, I don't love it when um, people respond to my political posts, but I don't <laughs> expect you to know that and be a mind reader. I mean, um, I posted something this week on Facebook, but I posted it mainly to um, as an outlet for various feelings I sure. had after this, this election. Um, I didn't really want anyone... Um, chiming in unless they agreed with me. You weren't looking for discussion. I wasn't really looking for discussion, but there are people who I think are are happier to use both Facebook and Twitter that way. Mm -hmm. Twitter, I actually have my my pinned tweet right now is don't at me. People will at me (laughs) anyway, but if now if you at me, you are getting blocked, son. um, I shouldn't talk to you on Twitter then? um, Not unless you agree with me. (laughs) I kind of feel like that's like asking for trouble, though. Right. Don't at me has become like the trolls like outlet for yeah but you know we needed space to vent especially after the results of the election i think that was fair but yeah i I also went on a blocking spree when people started just like i was trying to like sum up my feelings in eloquent ways or however i Mm -hmm. could and uh, people would just come at me was like saying like oh you're just whining because you lost and trump won trump forever yada yada so yeah those are the people we have to deal with yeah i mean it's 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 gonna be a a weird four years i think and Mm -hmm. Facebook and Twitter are going to be two of these places that we have to kind of figure out. We have to mm-hmm. figure out how to do this and kind of cross that divide because if we – I think if we keep going down this road we're going where we have these algorithms sort of feed, feeding us stuff that we it thinks we want to see, it's only going to kind of further you know, deepen this divide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that necessarily even just a partisan way. I don't mean that in a political way. Um, but – the world of information that we live in. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest losers in this election cy- cycle, really, is objective fact. Sure. Um, yeah. And that's kind of one of the biggest problems we're going to face, um, both as mm-hmm. a country and a culture, yeah. but as us specifically as a news outlet. Yeah. We need to kind of reckon with that, that at this point, there is such a distrust of the media that things like objective reality are in question. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it's just the media. It's more like the strategy employed by Trump and uh, a lot of his cohorts is just lie, keep lying until people believe the lie. And that's it. That's what matters more. And being the loudest person in the room rather than being the person making reasonable, real arguments. Yeah. And because of what we were just talking about, all those lies are getting filtered to the people who want yeah. to believe them. Yeah. yeah, There's no other side to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is just depressing me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's problematic because it is, you know, it's, it's these echo chambers that just feed you information that mm-hmm. agrees with your specific point of view, mm-hmm. true or not. And I mean, and this happens on both sides, to be clear. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't think too many people would argue that it happens more on the right, 
uh, it doesn't happen more on the right than it does on the left, but it does happen on the left as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're sharing posts from Occupy Democrats or uh, what's the other big one? There's like the other 99 or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a few different ones where like, sure, I might agree <clears throat> with a lot of what they're saying uh, politically, but a lot of what they offer is questionably accurate at best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think learning to filter that stuff out is going to be increasingly important. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this has been the story for media for a while, too, right? Yeah. Conservative talk radio, liberal talk radio has been around for a while, news stations, newspapers. So we're just seeing the evolution of all of that. And I do wonder if there's a way technology could help us. I'd love to see a news algorithm or something be used to help promote you know, empathy and understanding of the other side. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. Like, um, I keep seeing in like liberal media and other, other commentators, like we really have to try to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that's not something I'm seeing from the Trump side. Like there, one side is trying to understand. I almost wonder if that was part of what blindsided us in this election because we were actually trying to figure out what they were doing. Um, meanwhile, like a laser focus, um, their side can like just go and focus on their messaging, even if uh, you know, they don't need to care what the other side thinks. Yeah. It's I kind think of dangerous. Another thing yeah. that comes up here is Facebook's role in all of this. I mm-hmm. mean, we've talked about, we've talked around this, but I've seen people since election night saying like, okay, like we need to understand that Facebook is a media organization. They need to understand that and act responsibly. Like we've seen all of these kind of like fake news stories popping up there. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts on how they can do this better or reckon with this? I mean, it's just going to get bigger. Like, it's it's by far the biggest outlet for this kind of stuff at this point. It's, uh, I mean, it's tough. On the one hand, I I don't know if Facebook should be responsible for monitoring the news that gets trafficked on its network. Right. But the stuff that gets highlighted on its own, like, trending lists and stuff, that has to be – that's their control, right? Right. I mean, I, I think the trending box they definitely can control. Yeah. And I – I have some gripes with Facebook mm-hmm. also, the way a lot of people do, but I hate to see them treated as a scapegoat in this yeah. Yeah. election. I think it was New York Magazine this morning posted mm-hmm. um, an editorial saying Facebook is, is to blame for Trump, and I would oh not go that yeah. far. I also, no. just um, having having spent my whole career in journalism, um, sort of before I got to Engadget, um, um, I've been thinking a lot just the way about the news, organiza- news organizations have been handling this election. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. Empathy is one problem. but And I think fake news is obviously a yeah. big problem. Yeah. But the way we work where speed matters, mm-hmm. I think, has really not served readers well. And um, I think, at least the way I remember it, I think this is the first major election where push notifications on phones really mattered yeah. to news yeah. organizations. Mm-hmm. It felt sometimes in this election like there was a race. Who could send notifications to people's devices first saying mm-hmm. something can happen? And that doesn't serve readers well. I think we saw with the last um, Comey disclosure um, with the FBI, news organizations were in a race with each other to push notifications to people's devices um, just to say first, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think in the process got the story wrong. They overblew it a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they misled people. And I think that's... Um, Another way maybe in which technology is um, affecting the way news organizations do journalism Mm -hmm. and not necessarily for the better. I think the focus on speed, the speed is great. I mean, people can get their news quickly, but I think that's focus on speed really does help divide people and mislead people. That feels like an outgrowth of what cable news has been doing for two decades, right? Mm -hmm. It's just taking that mentality of like get the random story that isn't accurate or not out there as quick as possible. It's taking that from cable news. Yeah, it's it's, it's about getting the information out first, even if you don't really have any information. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen at some point, though, uh, a story on CNN or Fox News or NMSNBC, insert your 24-hour news station here, where they go out into the streets and say, this thing is happening behind us. We don't know what's going on. And then for 20 minutes, it's basically just like, literally describing what they see 
without sharing any information. And you know, this, that's mm-hmm. what it felt like to watch CNN's coverage of the election the other night, by the way. Oh, that's why I turned it off at some point. <laughs> um, side note, uh, Microsoft was maybe the only winner of that night, besides Trump, in <laughs> really? that it was just John King um, zooming in and out of that big Surface oh, display yeah. all night. They had um, Surface books And Wolf also, Blitzer didn't know how to use the display, so he kept barking <laughs> orders at John King um, and interrupting him and making him switch from one state to another. I don't think I watched CNN at all. Another. But um, it was just, yeah, after they second to second didn't have anything new to hmm. talk about. Yeah. Well, we were doing, we tried to do a live blog of the election night, and I think that ultimately we found ourselves with way more time on our hands than we expected. I think partially it's because some of the races were so close in ways that it wasn't predicted. But yeah, it was actually, I was feeling that sort of cable news press, like, okay, like, what is there to say about this right now? Like, we're yeah. really just in a hurry up and wait mode. And Twitter kind of reflected that. People were just digitally crossing their fingers. Yeah. That's all you could do. Yeah. I, 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 I won't lie. That did not go quite as well as I hoped <laughs> uh, when I imagined that. I was like, you know, we'll, we'll share four news. years to fine tune it. Yeah, we, we'll time. share news and analysis from yeah. around the web. It'll be interesting. We'll like post little visual, visualizations and stuff. I'm sure 538 will have neat maps oh, and things. 538. Um, do you have an, an Overwatch live stream with like election coverage in the window? There you go. And then just have commentary Maybe while you play. Maybe you can race CNN and see who can um, call the state of California for the Democrats at the strike <laughs> of 11 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. <laughs> With zero precincts reporting. That was another thing about speed that I don't think is useful to people is, you know, the, the second the polls closed, it was like, up oh, California for the Democrats, which the Democrats did win, but it's not breaking news, no. right? And well, I mean, everything is breaking news on CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially on election night. Um, yeah. Not breaking news, but the priority there isn't even to their readers or viewers. It's to um, themselves to say they were first. Yeah. I mean, it's also, I, I mean, I think something like California, at least, I'll give them a pass on because it's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Like, California wasn't close. It was never going to be close. No. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think a byproduct of just the media at this point, a byproduct of social networking is there is this focus on speed. And this is something that isn't unique at this point. I mean, and Gadget was founded on the idea of mm-hmm. speed as well. You know, uh-huh. It was priority for the first several years of this site's existence is you had to be first. That's how blogs work. Yeah. 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 Um, and that mentality has moved over to the mainstream media mm-hmm. at this point, uh, arguably to its detriment. Um, and now... Mm-hmm. We need to figure out how to fix that For sure. somehow. I guess one more thing I want to add about the media is I was astounded throughout this election coverage that Trump could just say things. His, support, his supporters could just say things and nobody would question it. And there was always the desire to have like the balanced coverage. So then CNN ended up what hiring Trump lackeys to kind of have that voice. Uh. I don't know how much <laughs> that affected things. But I also wonder like fact checking as you're reporting, you can bring like you have the oh, so much at your fingertips. Why, why isn't there more fact-checking within the reporting you know, so, using digital tools? So uh, I, I'll respond to that real quick, and yeah. then we should move on. Yeah. Um, I think y- I don't think you're giving the media the credit they deserve, mm-hmm. honestly, for how much fact-checking they did and how yeah. good of a job they did at fact-checking. And well, that th- happened later. It came well, later. Yeah. It, it did, but, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't, like, non-existent, and it wasn't, like, just the last week of the election. They did mm-hmm. months and months and months of really great reporting. Like, they're... As much as the media was part of a, mm-hmm. part of the problem in some ways, there was a lot of great work out there, and I don't want to. New York Times that. and Washington Post were both were, great, as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, think what we mm-hmm. learned mm-hmm. this year, and this is why I find this election so troubling, is going back to this idea of these media bubbles we live in. Yeah. Uh, that fact checking doesn't matter. That's, it's not that we yeah. didn't do it. It's that it just straight up doesn't matter. Which is so depressing. It is yeah. super depressing because the people who are reading Breitbart and who are reading Infowars mm-hmm. and who are reading uh, even to an extent Fox News, they've been trained to distrust the, quote, liberal media yeah. Yeah. to such an extent that they don't even tra- trust fact checkers. Um, I did spend a little bit of time trying to, like, immerse myself in the world of these things over the last, like, month or so. Um uh, t- much to my <laughs> detriment uh, mentally, but like Breitbart was running an active fact check of the fact checkers during the debate, yep. um, and I have had all-out wars with friends on Facebook at this point who have argued with me that the fact checkers were wrong because Breitbart said so. Yeah, and, Those are not your friends, Terrence. Uh, I mean, some of them were, <laughs> some of them are. Were. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I mean, there's there's a distrust even of facts, yes, like objective yes. facts. And I think that's the deeper. Yeah. yeah. 
And unless unless we can all agree on an objective reality, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a really rough four years. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a really rough however long Mm -hmm. it it takes to sort that out. Mm -hmm. Well, when Um, you do, I mean, that's I saw somebody write that when Trump turned. So you saw Obama defended a Trump protester at a rally. Yeah. Right. He said, like, freedom of speech. He's a veteran. Like, let's just take it down a notch. And then the next day, Trump turns it into Obama was yelling at one of my supporters. When you can literally <laughs> look at this video and see that that's side not true, side. no one cares. And I think that is why we shouldn't be surprised at the way this election came out. Because yeah. all for a year and a half, we've been saying Trump's doing things that have to sink a normal politician. Yeah. And it hasn't. So why should the election yeah. have played out normally? Yeah. I guess what I'm just annoyed at was the way we treated him uh, with kid gloves really early, early on. on. Yeah. And it's that early coverage that kind of let him kind of build up this momentum. you yeah. got to stop that momentum. Yeah. Um, so now that we've done enough yes. hand-wringing over mm. our social media bubbles and the media coverage and all that. Where do we go? Um, let's kind of take a look at where we go from here. You know, on January 20th, Donald Trump is going to be – uh, sworn in as president of the United States. He's going to have a Republican Congress behind him. Uh, and he is going to be able to do a lot of things really quickly, um, potentially. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could potentially talk about that's kind of honestly outside of our realm of expertise. So we'll skip over that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we all have a lot of things to say and think about what this means for the Affordable Care Act. I went on a bit of a Twitter rant <laughs> last night, if you're interested in that. Um, but... I mean, one of the first things I think we're going to see is net neutrality is done. Um, that's something that he can pretty easily do away with, um, that he has in the past at least talked about being against, um, even if it wasn't much of an issue during the campaign. Uh, One's winning votes on yeah. net neutrality for the most part. But also yeah. regulation in general, like yeah. of any industry, I think it seems like he's against. So it would make sense that net neutrality would just disappear at a certain point. So, I mean, I guess let's say net neutrality is done. Let's, mm-hmm. let's imagine that first 100 days, FCC rescinds those rules. Um, Trump has uh, – let me find the guy's name. Jeffrey Eisenach, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, as sort of the point man for telecom issues on his transition team. This is a guy who's kind of made a career out of crusading against industry regulation. Um, He's been working at a conservative think tank for the last couple of years. He was uh, one of the targets of that New York Times piece talking about um, how industry money influences op-ed and research studies. Um, you know, he had done pieces about net neutrality that were funded by our parent company, Verizon, <laughs> who are uh, staunchly opposed to net neutrality. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that that's a done deal, that that's gone. So what does that mean now for the internet, for not just consumers, but for businesses as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're already seeing Comcast kind of move towards uh, really reinforcing or enforcing its bandwidth caps. And I wonder if that thing, that sort of thing will be more widespread, maybe more locking down of how people use the internet. But also wireless is where a lot of this has really um, been a bigger deal. So, yeah, maybe... I think we'll see lots of zero rating stuff, perhaps. Like, I I think, you know, basically Comcast will say, oh, you can use any of our services without Mm -hmm. having to pay for them. So so just real quick, explain what zero rating is for people who don't know, because it's It's kind of a... Yeah, it's uh, like T-Mobile's, you know, whatever they do with video, where they say, oh, you can stream video for free. Um, So basically they're prioritizing video traffic over other traffic and saying, uh, okay, like... It doesn't hit your data cap. Right. So not all bandwidth is created, or not all data is created equal under this. Good for consumers, but bad on principle, essentially. Yeah. Because it means you can start to pay for access and you sort of get funneled into these narrower choices where stuff that is outside of it you have to pay to use and stuff that isn't you get for Mm -hmm. free. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, that is one of those things that kind of caught a lot of uh, net neutrality activists' attention when T-Mobile did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a fight that they ended up losing for yeah. obvious reasons because it's really attractive to the consumer to just say, hey, your Spotify streams don't count against your uh, data cap, right. which saves you money, and that's great. But it is sort of like, you know, a slippery slope at that point because mm-hmm. they're saying all music streaming doesn't count against your data cap, mm-hmm. but at some point it's going to be really easy to say, well... Spotify does count against your music streaming cap, but Verizon Music doesn't. 
or sure. a worse service or mostly. go 90 doesn't but yes. hulu does go 90 Ugh. yeah um, <laughs> and there's so much good stuff to watch on go 90 so aren't we on <laughs> but go 90 i'm, I'm <laughs> sugar um my big worry is, like, as that stuff moves over to the desktop, right? Uh, I do, do you guys keep track of your bandwidth at home? Like, you oh, know, God, no. your Netflix, your Hulu, whatever. Yeah. Like, if they started dividing up those services, depending on who pays the ISP for that, like, that can be messy. That, that well, just in terms of, pri- I mean, forget about yeah. getting traffic for free or not. Maybe prioritizing yeah. things, slowing down Netflix at night because... It's too much of a hassle for them. Maybe to your like, ISP will make you pay extra to get 4K Netflix. Something maybe like it'll that. make you pay extra yeah. to watch Netflix at night because there's so much traffic there. Yeah. Um, I don't pay attention to my bandwidth cap, but I have started to recently, mm-hmm. as I've been hearing more about bandwidth caps, and I'm safe under a terabyte at this point, but I don't have 4K. Oh, so. yeah. A terabyte, that's, that's not bad. My parents live in Georgia, which was one of the test areas for comcast mm-hmm. actual bandwidth thing so i think it was like 300 gigabytes a month and then after that they would start charging yeah uh, like for every 10 gigabytes that, yeah. and that's it's insane and they're expanding that program right now i've so I, i'm not sure yeah. what i've read recently but i feel like i've seen comcast saying like the ter- terabyte is where they're gonna yeah. settle on the cap um and Which i've been is, i've been comfortably under that but I still don't want that to happen because I'd like to be comfortably it's over tough it. It's because well. like games are moving digitally too. Yeah. So I'd like to install a PC game now. That's fifty gigabytes just coming yeah. down your pipe. Yeah. You know? Even if you buy a disc for your PS4, yeah. it still downloads yeah. So yeah. A couple of hundred gig probably sure. to update that AAA title. Oh yeah. Dana, do you have any idea how much data you use in a month? Like at home? <laughs> um, on my home network? Yeah. No. No. I don't <laughs> think any of us do. I mean a um lot. What is Time Warner going to do? Throttle me and make my service even slower than it always is? <laughs> well, that yes. was going to be my next question is, yes. who provides your internet? Is it Time Warner? Because, oh, dear God, you're screwed. <laughs> I don't live in a Fios building. Uh, Where do you I'm guys very get sorry. your internet? Cable vision. Ooh, yeah. that's almost as bad. It's, what, about, what about UT? It's messy. Fios. Uh, whatever. It's, it's good and bad. Suckling off the parent company's teeth there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I had it before that. <laughs> I was... Time Warner, I, I, I know it was bad in the rest of New York City, but on Staten Island, it was especially terrible. Hmm. Um, it was so bad that I literally had an alert set for the moment Fios became available in my wow. apartment and shut it off that day. I'm surprised Fios came to Staten Island. Too. Oh, some, might, some might argue maybe you should just move to a more civilized part of the... Uh... <laughs> hey, we got Fios before the rest of New York City. <laughs> yeah, and probably because it's easier to install there. But yeah, I've had Cablevision. I've been fine. Like, I've actually had a 100, uh, 100 what, megabit per second service for, like, the past six years, and that's been fine until, like, yeah, people start slowing down the network or something. So, but th- that brings... it's not going to be something that's going to impact people immediately. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's... The lack of net neutrality rules and all of that stuff, that lack of regulation, is going to probably become much more important as we see this further consolidation of uh, providers and content creators. Mm-hmm. That's sort of where it's going to end up becoming an issue, right. and that's a growing trend in the industry. Um, and so it's going to be really problematic. Yeah, like monopolies will be able to offer worse, or even worse service than they do now because yeah. there will be less competition. Well, I mean, even, even look at our parent company. I mean – Verizon has its own networks, Fios, and their wireless Mm -hmm. data. They have their own content delivery systems, which they uh, would like. They own stations like SNY and uh, a host of other sports, local sports networks Mm -hmm. around the country. They own Go90, which they're pushing really hard. They own a whole bunch of news outlets like Engadget and Huffington Post. It would be really easy for them to decide that those services get preferential treatment for whatever reason. Um... And that doesn't even necessarily have to mean, you know, specifically throttling Netflix traffic while prioritizing Go90, but it can mean uh, doing things like essentially hiding Netflix and trying to push it down in relevance while actively promoting uh, Go90 and making sure that it's like preloaded on every Verizon phone and making sure that that service doesn't count against your data cap. Who's who's that guy in black behind you, Terrence? Um, You might want to watch out for yourself right now. We're, a, as we're sitting in the Huff, po- yeah, the Huffington Post studio. Yeah. Yes. Um, so watch I mean, your yeah. back, Terrence O'Brien. It, it raises a lot of questions and a lot of concerns about that. Uh, obviously, it's not an immediate issue, and yeah. I think you know the argument from the right and a lot of people who would o- oppose all these regulations is that it's not a problem. It hasn't been a problem. Stop being paranoid. We're just trying to avoid it being a problem. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the the, yeah. the response is. Uh, I think we've all learned over the yeah. the course of the existence of this country that the 
companies will take advantage of every opportunity you give them. And if mm-hmm. you remove these barriers to shutting down competition, they will do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, you know, look at how Trump's been viewing, I guess, some of that stuff, too. Like his view on taxes, his view on like other things that everyone else has to pay. So I think that could sort of trickle down to companies as well. But the the good thing is that you can't really do much in four years, right? Yeah. The worst thing he can do is whoever his uh, Supreme Court justice choice will be. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I guess let's yeah. let's use that as a jump uh, yeah. a springboard for this next topic, which is you're saying that you can't do a lot in four years, <laughs> and I think that that is not true. Mm. I mean, a uh, lot of his decisions are going to have ramifications yes. for a very long time. Yeah. Um. You know, even if they don't have an immediate impact for four years, those regulations that he removes are not easily reversed. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they are reversed, say, by the next president, let's say four years, Donald Trump is out of office. We have a Democrat or another Republican or a third party or whatever happens, because anything can happen at this point. Um, you know, if Trump rescinds regulations on carbon emissions on power plants. If he does right. away with the clean, uh, clean power plan, uh, which is something that he's talked about doing, that can be easily undone by the next president. The pa- next president can say, no, we need to have these carbon emissions standards in place. But it is then going to take years to retroactively fix all of the damage that right. has been done over these last four mm-hmm. years. Um, that, that's probably a lot more relevant for something like yeah. climate change than... Uh, the internet yeah. and stuff. I was specifically talking about the internet, but yeah. 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 Well, it's, I mean, it's, even it's tough. Yeah. So even for the internet stuff, though, I do think that that's equally true. Um, mm-hmm. Before we jump off over to the, yeah, yeah. the climate change stuff, um, so one of the other big things about his regulations and his thoughts on the internet is, you know, one of the big issues is getting broadband out to everybody in an affordable way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of... Hillary Clinton's plans that really didn't get enough attention during the election cycle. We certainly talked about it a bit, but it didn't get a lot of play in the main in sort of the mainstream media as again as much as such a thing exists. Um, I hate that phrase so much. Uh, <laughs> is this plan about extending broadband? She had this goal of getting it to affordable broadband available to 100% of households by 2020. Um, whether or not that was achievable is questionable, but it was a noble goal. And she had all of these ideas for how to do it and all of these uh, avenues through which to do it. Um, let me pull up the name of all of these programs. Uh, the Connect America Fund, the Rural Utility Services Program, the Broadband Technology Opportunities Program. And a lot of these things, uh, you know, about subsidizing, subsidizing broadband for low-income households, both rural and urban, those are probably done. Yep. Uh, and it's going to be really hard to incentivize these businesses to build out broadband infrastructure where there currently is none, especially in these more rural areas, without these government programs. It well, pisses me off because those are the people who voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them were. Some of them aren't. Rural I mean, people who feel forgotten. Yeah. And look, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's another topic, I think, uh, <laughs> but also a perfectly valid one that Americans don't often vote for their economic interests. Sure. Um, and that's for a whole host of reasons. I think that's because we don't necessarily identify on economic issues primarily. Um, I think there's also a poor messaging from the Democratic Party on those issues uh, in a lot of senses. I, I think that's what you saw from the Bernie supporters who decided that they simply couldn't stand Hillary Clinton. Um, but yeah, I mean, how is there a way for Donald Trump to reach this goal of having 100% of households with access to affordable broadband if he's cutting funding to these programs, if he's <laughs> cutting taxes. I just no don't words. think he cares. Yeah. I just think, I mean, like, I think that he doesn't care about this stuff. He doesn't think about it. And my Do guess we... is that mm-hmm. broadband is just going to stay the same as it is. It's not good right now. The U.S. lags behind tons of other countries in terms of having good, reliable internet service. That's going to be the status quo for four more years. Sorry to interrupt, but I don't Sorry. know if we've addressed this. Um, is there any credence to reports that Donald Trump doesn't <laughs> use a computer? Uh, I believe it. There, there is. Um, I mean, he hasn't actively said he doesn't use a computer, but... Um, it was the photos. Most, we haven't seen evidence. Yet. Yeah, most reports are that, that he is averse to email. 
Don't you? I, mean, I do. It's problematic. He can't <laughs> run his own uh, Twitter account either. So this is all. This is all not good. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole host of issues there. I mean, I think going back to the net neutrality thing, it's abundantly clear that he doesn't understand issues of science and technology. And I mean, and that's not to say that much of the government does. Uh, their the cyber. Yeah, the, the cyber. cyber. I mean, the, the government is historically bad at dealing sure, with technology. Sure. Even under um, a president like Obama who yeah. cares about these things. The and Obama's can, yeah. been pretty good, actually, he's for the most tried. part. Um, but <laughs> yeah. there are he's, he, he is sort of hamstrung yeah. to a certain extent by the agencies. But, uh, I mean, let's – I just want to read the tweet from him in – from Donald Trump in 2014 oh, about <laughs> uh, net neutrality. Um, so he said, Obama's attack on the internet is another top-down power grab. Net neutrality is the fairness doctrine. will target conservative media. So um, – Let's unpack that. Yeah, let's unpack that. For one, to describe it as a top-down power grab is n- completely inaccurate. Yeah. What power is trying to be grabbed there? It's, it's, it's a yeah. Yeah. dissolution the, of power, if anything. Ex- exactly. And it's not putting the power in the hands of the executive branch. It's putting it in the hands of a regu- regulatory ed- agency, which is at least in theory supposed to be apolitical. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you can try and argue the semantics of that, but it's... There you go talking accurate. facts again. Terrence. I know. It's... Well, help. The, <laughs> the bigger issue here is, for me at least, again, talking on a facts-based thing, yes. is this comparison to the fairness doctrine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally don't think he understands what net neutrality is yep. or what the fa- fairness doctrine is based on that line. Mm-hmm. Um, so too long didn't read version of the fairness doctrine. It was a policy put in place by the FCC, I want to say, in 1949 – dissolved in 1987, officially removed from the books in like 2011, but it wasn't enforced between 87 and 2011 or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Anyway, um, basically it required broadcasters to set aside time for discussing issues of public interest um, and that opposing viewpoints be presented. Equal time. Yeah, it's basically an equal time thing. So... Which I think a lot of people think still exists. Which it doesn't. Um... And, I mean, I'm going to argue that removing the fairness doctrine was actually probably a good thing. I, yeah. I, I think artificially forcing people to present unequal po- halves <laughs> of an argument <laughs> is, like, giving equal airtime to climate science deniers yeah, right. is not serving the public good. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a system that's ripe, ready, f- just ripe for abuse. And I think doing away with the fairness doctrine is probably a good thing in the grand scheme of things. That being said, net neutrality has nothing to do with that. Net neutrality has nothing to do with, like, presenting opposing viewpoints. It has nothing to do with setting aside airtime for public interest. All it means is that the Internet cannot be prioritized to favor or uh, disenfranchise services and people based on the preferences of the provider. So it means that Verizon can't punish Netflix, charge them more, throttle them just because they want to further their own mm-hmm. uh, streaming media service. That as long as that as the content flowing over the pipes is legal, it is all treated equally. That is a very different beast from the fairness doctrine. Um, end rant. <laughs> end rant. Uh, when it comes to the infrastructure stuff we were talking about, I wonder if Trump goes like just goes hands off on some of the stuff uh, when it comes to like rolling out broadband or something. I wonder if private companies will step up and kind of do more because Google was trying to do stuff with Google Fiber, although even that fell apart. Yeah. Um, at the very least, like Trump thinks like a businessman, as mm-hmm. in as much as he thinks, um, and maybe like a an Not argument really from thing. yeah from from a private company could maybe yeah. Uh, What's the incentive for this private company to behave? admirably in the though. public good i mean yeah. really the only ones that, that have been doing our companies like google that yeah. has been like okay yeah who knows what nefarious things Although, google could do but they've invested billions so in like I, some of these programs yeah. i i will say this um as much as google has been theoretically acting yep. in the public good they also stand to benefit a lot yeah, from sure. this you know uh they're playing the long <clears> game yeah they're not sure. They're not doing this just because they think it's the right thing to do. It's the more people that are online and the faster their connect- connections are and the cheaper they are, the better it is for their business model. Yes. 
uh, because they require people to be on the internet and they require more people to be on the internet and they require mm-hmm. those people to have fast, reliable service. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it's yeah. good for consumers, though. In lieu of federal support, that's the best we could hope for, mm-hmm. basically, is like a company that hopefully, yeah, will do something that could help Whose us. business interests align with us having better yeah. internet. And that's how, that's how the world works, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a business. The only the only tool I can see him having in his arsenal at this point for actively encouraging it mm-hmm. is tax breaks, um, which I think you know he's probably going to use as That's a way. His That's his platform. Is you know they'll offer tax breaks to companies that are building right. broadband infrastructure in rural areas. Um, whether or not that's going to be enough, though, I don't know. And whether or not. That's yeah. that service is a priority. Yeah, and whether or not that service is going to be affordable, even right. is another question. Right. You know, it's one thing to incentivize a company to bring 100 megabit broadband mm-hmm. to uh, the middle of nowhere in Kansas. It's another thing to charge that company who that that person out there in the middle of nowhere, you know, thirty, forty, fifty dollars a month as opposed to one hundred and fifty just because you can because there's no other mm-hmm. options. Yep. Um, the only good potential thing, I guess, is that the infrastructure of the future may not look the same as the infrastructures before. Like yeah. rolling out FiOS and stuff, that requires like digging to the ground and laying cable and stuff. Um, if 5G and some of the other technologies around that kind of work out, um, they could produce like long range wireless broadband with far less infra- infrastructure hassle. Uh, but that's not, that's like two or three years away, too. So. Um, does anybody know what Trump's mm-hmm. positions are around, like, the unused spectrum? That's one thing uh, I, I failed I, to find. I there are any. Yeah. You know, I think that ranks even farther, even lower below um, <laughs> education in terms of things we'll see. that people do not ask him about. Yeah. It's more like, can, <laughs> during the, can we sell it? That's, well, that's as much as I think, yeah. Well, I mean, we can sell it, yeah, though, and I think exactly. that's a thing, uh, that it's probably on his radar just for that reason. At some point, sure. Um, it's, you know... Opening up things to – it's good for business to sell off this unused spectrum. It gives them – and if he's not going to regulate it, they get to do whatever he wants. But also the government gets to take in a little bit of money. Um, and getting things out of the government's hand is probably going to be one of his top priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing uh, we, we started to talk about a little bit and I think uh, definitely worth spending some time on is climate change. Yes. Because, um, I mean, this is – there's a lot of play, ways that um, – a Trump presidency is going to impact us uh, negatively. Negatively, and I think this is probably one of the biggest ones. Yep. Um, and I think it's one of the ones where he has the most power. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of stuff that he's proposed, a lot of stuff that he wants to do, um, and a lot of the, especially the um, more like offensive parts of his, offensive to us at least, parts of his platform requires some level of cooperation from Congress and the courts. Which right, and I think difficult. we forget that even though it's now – or it's continuing to be a Republican Congress that a lot of Republicans don't necessarily agree with him on a lot of the things he said. We'll see if that holds true going forward. My hope is that there's at least some pushback there to his more outlandish schemes. Mm-hmm. So – But climate change. The climate change one, he has a lot of ideas and a lot of them he can do without uh, – any interference from anybody, basically. Sure. So let me run down this list, and then I'll let you guys just kind of <laughs> run wild with this because it's pretty insane. So he's basically specifically said that he wants to do away with the waters of the U.S. rule and the EPA's clean power plan. These are basically – they're not executive orders, I don't believe, but yeah. they're some sort of federal rule uh, that essentially – the first of which protects rivers, lakes, other wetlands. The later is about uh, – reducing carbon emissions from power plants. Uh, but because neither of those are laws passed by Congress, they are federal regulations that were paced, passed basically purely on executive power. He has he, the executive power to He has the, the executive opposite. power to undo those literally on day one. Um, and I believe he's said that's... Mm-hmm, yeah, he said that th- those are gone. Yeah. Um, he's said that he wants to do away with the EPA entirely. That's a little bit more difficult to do. That he does need the, the cooperation of Congress to do. Yeah. Uh, but with a Republican-controlled House and Senate, it might not be impossible. Um, at the very least, expect the EPA to be gutted. Yeah. That its power, it's going to be... Severely limited. Yeah, its powers are going to mm-hmm. be reduced. Its ability to enforce any regulations that remain on the books are uh, going to be limited. Even if they success... Uh, if they do successfully do away with the EPA... That 
effectively puts an end to the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, which are two laws that were passed that uh, task the EPA with enforcing these rules about uh, carbon emissions and stuff and pollution of our water supply. Uh, without an EPA to enforce those rules, those laws are official, uh, essentially null and void unless other and things so the are. reasoning for this is that he wants businesses to not have to worry about this, essentially, right? More or, or less. Because that's like, like wh- why, like, you know, yeah. why else would you want to do away with these yeah. laws? And then the, the last one is uh, the Paris Agreement, which right. was 200-plus nations about curtailing greenhouse emissions and limiting the global rise in average temperature to a maximum of two degrees by 2100. An agreement that took so much Yeah, it was a hard-fought agreement, and because he is president, he is able to unilaterally pull the United States out of it, um, which could essentially destroy that agreement completely. Because, yeah, yeah, because if we pull out, then other major produ- yeah. uh, polluters like China and Brazil have less incentive, reason, to, stay incentive in. to stay in it. Um, so imagine a world with that, guys. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I can in six months. Yeah. Um, I think that that's super depressing. And uh, I just can't even go further than that because why? Why? What's the reasoning for doing this? It's good for business, Nate. That's all. So, yeah. I mean, it's theoretically good for business, sure. Um, Less rest- it's basically we don't want the government controlling what we can do, and we means business. Also, this or- problem that, yeah, the entire world agrees on does not exist. Right. So let's yeah. just ignore it. Well, I mean, so, so how much of this do you think is simply a distrust of the establishment, including the scientific establishment, which says that global warming and climate change are a yeah. real thing, and how much of this is them ignoring that truth mm-hmm. and pretending it away because they've decided that the priorities of business are more important than the priorities of the environment? 50-50, probably. Yeah, probably. Well, honestly, the first option sounds like way too much thought put into this <laughs> whole thing. Like, the easiest thing is more like... You know, he is a modern day, what, uh, real estate baron, right? So he is just going to do whatever it takes to make as much money as possible. It's thinking in the short term and not in the right. long term of how these things could affect, uh, yeah, the rest of the world or, you know, civil- the civilization after he makes all his money. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, this is a guy who who does not believe that climate change is a thing, or at least says he doesn't. He says he doesn't. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'm sure he some doesn't. evidence. Yeah. Some evidence suggests that he might. Uh, he had uh, he has uh, apparently agreed to build seawalls around oh. some of his resorts to protect them from oh, rising sea levels. I don't know why you'd do that if you didn't think things were uh, global warming was That's, a real thing. It's just protecting your interests yeah. against yeah China's hot water. That's why. That's why. Dana constantly looks like she has something to say, but she's so disgusted she can't actually put it into words. I mean, I still I keep really looking like, to you like, I know you have something you to say, and you're just like, Ugh. I can't. I literally can't. No, I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what the reasoning is. So even if you don't believe in this stuff, mm-hmm. why go through the work and trouble of dismantling these laws and agreements? Because, like, what is yeah. the benefit? We're not making as much money as okay. we could. So it's an economic incentive to let companies run their businesses in ways where they're not concerned with the environment, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, the the argument in favor is basically that uh, these regulations are essentially killing jobs and costing these right. companies money because they're putting onerous restrictions and demands on them. Yep. Um, and that if you remove those restrictions and you re- remove these regulations, they will then invest that money back in the workforce and create jobs. Or that it will, beyond that even open up new job possibilities because now you'll be able to mine places you weren't able to do before. You'll be able to drill in places you weren't able to before. And you'll be able to, you know, do fracking in places that you weren't able to do it before. Um, Now, I think there is some truth to that. I think Mm -hmm. there is inarguably a truth to the fact that if you are able to drill in places you weren't allowed to before, that will create jobs. Um, the number of jobs that creates, how long those jobs mm-hmm. last, that is up in the air. Up in the air, well, but it'll it, be replaced by automation or something. Yeah, yeah, but that is, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. unquestionably, that will create jobs. Um, Are the kind of jobs you want to be creating? No, that's well, another what question. Obama keeps saying is that he's wanted to create an economy where 
the interests of the environment and creation of jobs go together. Like yeah. we're going to create jobs around improving things instead of ruining them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not, it's not an easy task. No, either clear. way. Um, I understand to an extent, um, you know, the desire to open up these places to drilling and to mining and all this stuff to ease some of these regulations. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are places in the Rust Belt, there are places in more rural areas like in Alaska and stuff where jobs are hard to come by. And yeah. this is an easy injection of money into mm-hmm. these uh, you get, locations. Quick results. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded of the, actually the, uh, the film, Deepwater Horizon, about the, that oil disaster. And what I loved about that was it did portray you know, the people who have to work there. They're just people who need jobs and they yeah. have to do this thing. But the, the real villain is the corporate interest that push those, pushes things too far beyond even what they know is safe. And that's, yeah, that's kind of how I've been seeing this stuff. What um, I mean, for me, it comes down to I'm sure you guys have seen the chart where it shows, I believe, the CO2 production under, um, I think, first Bush, Clinton, second Bush mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. starts to go down. Obama continues to go down. And then there's a split where projections under Hillary Clinton, projections under Trump, where the Trump number, it doesn't ratchet up to like a ridiculous hockey stick degree, but it definitely no. completely turns around and goes back to the way that things were. 15, it may just be from ago. him doing many more speeches, you know, so, <laughs> so much more hot air. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at that chart right now. It's in, it's in the piece we published yesterday um, that went up. So, and, and yeah, you can look at it. It's from Lux Research. Uh, I looked for other sources as well to sort of back yeah. this up. Um, I didn't find any quite as thorough as this, unfortunately. Basically, all of the – most people seem to be in agreement that under Donald Trump, CO2 emissions are going to increase um, and that global warming is going to accelerate at least to t- some extent. Again, um, how much can be done in four years is the question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and how long? I want to say not not to imply that it's a lot can or can't be done in four years, mm-hmm. but yeah. And how long those uh, effects last? See right. I mean, well, it's and, and more broadly, which Trump is going to be in charge? The mm-hmm. Trump who campaigned, or Trump who was a civilian for years and mm-hmm. had more moderate political tendencies? That's a good. I think question. it really depends on who he does ultimately surround himself with. And we're getting some clues now, but I think um, that remains to be fully seen. Will yeah. he have any progressives or moderates in his cabinet? I mean, I think he's going to have what we would consider moderates in his cabinet. I mean, mo- so there's some rumblings about what his cabinet's going to look yeah. like. Um, we won't delve into too many of them because a lot of it just honestly... It's all speculation. It's, it's not just speculation, but... We are, at the end of the day, a tech publication. Whether or not uh, yeah, yeah. Chris Christie ends up as the attorney general <laughs> doesn't really uh, matter Reek. right now. Poor Reek. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got a, Chris Christie. He's got Rudy Giuliani. Um, and, look, they're, at the end of the day, Northeast Republicans, which is basically a Democrat in a lot of the other parts <laughs> of this country. Sure. Uh, yeah. Things are sort of realigning a little bit. And, you know, Rudy Giuliani is clearly suffering from dementia. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So these are the people he's going to surround himself with. Well, what big name? Peter Thiel. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Uh, That's tech relevant. Uh, it is. We've been we, referring to him as human garbage pile, uh, Peter Thiel? Uh, no, he's a garbage billionaire, Peter <laughs> okay. Thiel. Um, I don't know how much time we have to yeah. get into that, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I looked it up. I didn't, because I know his name has been floated as a, as a Supreme Court justice, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't, I don't no, think God. I, 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 I said I, didn't, no, no, I, no, no, said no, I no. didn't think yeah. Trump would be president, so yeah. don't. Who knows? It's, it's more about, I mean, I'm just saying Peter Thiel because tech angle yeah. or whatever, but <laughs> he is pretty much the only Silicon Valley elite to be on Trump's side. To align yeah. himself and he's going to have his ear and like, it may not be Supreme Court justice, but he's going to have a certain amount of power for his terrifying ideas. Yeah. So, yeah. I didn't realize uh, he had um, a law degree, Peter Thiel. I, Why would you? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that he did. If, if yeah. that's true, this is the first time I'm hearing. I'm hearing because when I, you know, I yeah. said, Psh, like, how could he be on the Supreme Court? Does, does do you even law? Uh. Deal? <laughs> turns out yes. It turns out yeah. Actually, oh, no. he does. That's unfortunate. Uh, I think yeah. I, I think that's something we're gonna have to revisit though at some point. Uh, we are running out of time. Yes. Um, I did want to ref- talk about one other person who he's been uh, get back to their climate change thing real quick because the one of the other people being rumored for his cabinet 
is uh, Forrest Lucas. He's being uh, he's considered the front runner for Secretary of the Interior at this point. Uh, this is a job that would be the guy in charge of the national parks, the wildlife refuges. Did, he would be have control over policies about offshore drilling, <laughs> fracking. Uh, how we see, manage? Did you see something about Sarah Palin being involved in this as well? Yeah, she's also on the list, but uh, it's a pretty short list. Sarah Palin is in there. <laughs> Supposedly, the front runner is Forrest Lucas. Mm-hmm. If you have not heard that name, uh, Forrest Lucas is the co-founder of Lucas Oil. So you uh. essentially have an oil baron in charge of our national parks and wildlife refuges, and you know a lot of environmental policy, uh, and that's a bad thing. Fabu, like, yeah. like just objectively, that's a terrible idea. Um, yeah, it sounds it, like Palin would be better. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and the one other thing I want to touch on real quick before we go, because uh, we are running out of time. We've been at this for a while, and there's so much to say. So many. We did not even touch on everything. We might have to make this a two-parter. Right, sure. <laughs> um, is, you know, his environmental policies will have repercussions beyond mm-hmm. uh, global warming and climate change. When the federal government goes hands-off on a lot of this stuff, what ends up happening is some of the states pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. And you've seen California do this a bunch you know, with their lower limits for carbon emissions from cars and stuff. And that can set a national trend. And that's fine. You know, if, it's what we've got. <laughs> yeah. If, if California requires that you have lower carbon emissions, it's much easier to just make all of your cars have, have lower carbon emissions and sell the same car across the country than it is to make one specific car mm-hmm. for California. Um, But that only really works on a product level. Um, It doesn't work for everything else. And what you're going to end up seeing, and this is part of the rant that I went on uh, last night about the ACA, um, and this is part of what we saw happen with the credit card industry, is that all of these businesses, all these companies that are responsible for a lot of the pollution are going to, like, concentrate in the places with the least restrictive regulations. Mm-hmm. They're going to go where the regulations are the laxest. And that is going to essentially create environmental ghettos. These places that are just like super fun sites on a scale you've never seen probably. Um, and that's going to lead to health issues. Mm-hmm. That's going to lead to drinking water problems. And if you tear apart the ACA, it's going to make dealing with those health issues more expensive, more difficult, and further driving up costs for health insurance this to begin. This is stuff we all saw in the yeah. 70s and 80s, basically, mm-hmm. right? Bringing all back. I mean, and well, that's when America was great. Yeah. So, I mean, what? I, basically, Again. the point I'm trying to make yes. here is that this is... It's not just about the environment. Yeah. This is, this is yeah. really just, like, a horrible domino effect yeah. that every one of these things is connected and people are going to suffer because of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> is, and on well, that positive note... After all this, is there a bright side? Um, because the one thing I have noticed is that I think people who supported Hillary and who supported like or at least more progressive ideals were maybe a little relaxed. Like, oh yeah, under, yeah. The, uh, under Obama, like things were good. We're, we can be fine. We could, you know, vote when we need to. Now you got to get up and you got to do something. Yeah, yeah. and uh, hopefully take a like, few days this week to be sad yeah. and, and then get out there. Yeah, yeah. and we're seeing what. About tens of thousands of people protesting here in New York already, and I'm wondering what that'll lead to. Yeah, for midterms and for 2020. Yeah, and that could yeah. be positive. And 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 the other positive thing I'll say is that, um, and it's hard to. I think it's hard for a lot of people to accept this as a positive mm-hmm. in some ways, is that this has exposed how left behind mm-hmm. and how ignored mm-hmm. uh, white working class and white rural voters feel, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, I think we have to work now to figure out how we address everybody's concerns. And this is getting off the topic yeah, of yeah. Uh, tech Do and everything. It. But, you know, there isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. As, as an overall theme, there isn't that much separating the white working class, white rural voters who voted for Trump and, you know, black and Latino voters who voted for Hillary. They're groups of people who feel historically ignored and historically overlooked and have not had their concerns properly represented. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this election helped expose how much that portion of the population has been ignored. Um, I think those concerns were not given the credence they deserved to a certain extent. Well, I also, yeah, maybe they also felt extra 
they couldn't say much because you have Obama as president. And I, that that alone, like having somebody who doesn't look like you as your leader. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, this is about to not say, great. oh, poor white yeah. person. That no, yeah, I mean, like, look, this is not to, this is this is not to make make excuses for yeah. the racism and the xenophobia. This is more about acknowledging that there is. Well, we need to understand what happened. Yeah, we need to understand what happened. But and what happened is people felt ignored. Mm-hmm. They felt like they weren't being properly represented, and you need to fix that. Um, that's not to say that the solution is to yes. kick Mexicans out of the country or bar Muslims from coming in, but that's just to acknowledge that. Yep, we let a portion of the population down. Although, yeah, maybe not as much down as they thought. But no, yeah. I mean, yeah. look, there's yeah. we can have a we debate. Get, yeah, we <laughs> can get back to facts, but yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, now we now we figure out how to move forward. Um, any last thoughts before we go, guys? I just uh, <laughs> no, no. It's Everyone broken. just I, I think like I said, take this week to sort of feel bad and then think about what you can do to make things better. Yeah. Uh, you want to just throw your Twitter handle out there while you're on the mic? Nate Ingram, come <laughs> at me, bros. <laughs> Dana. Dana Wallman, don't at me. <laughs> any la- any last thoughts? No. 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 Um, Devendra. I am at Devendra on Twitter, and uh, yeah, I, um, I I don't know. Yeah, I, I I think if nothing else, this was cathartic. Yes. Thanks, guys. Yes. Because um, I've spent the last twenty four hours in my really apartment just like out. <laughs> yelling on Twitter, like just like shouting into the ether. Yep. Um, I think having a conversation is helpful. I think this is this is healthy and. You know, if you stayed through the end out there, uh, I, I, I thank you. Um, I promise next week will be a little bit more of a regular show. Sure. Um, I'm not going to promise we won't talk about Trump, uh, but I promise that it will be at least a little bit uh, more there directly. will probably be at least one gadget to discuss. Yeah, we'll we'll, yeah. we'll definitely do flame wars, including next week. the two whose reviews went up uh, as we were filming this. Oh, what what, what went up? Surface Book and Daydream View. Those okay, are, those are gadgets. But yeah. also, we'll I want to know. All that. I want to know if people have ideas for stories that they want us to cover. Yeah, that maybe we haven't done yet too. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, this vein. as I say every week, we want your feedback. Yeah, you know. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter directly. They've all handed out my, their Twitter handles. I'm at Terrence O'Brien. Lots of E's, no A's. Um, <laughs> You can hit us up at Engadget Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can email us, podcast at Engadget.com. Uh, yeah, I mean, we want to know what you think. We want to hear your complaints, your ideas, your questions, everything. If you think there's something we're missing, let us know, uh, and, and we will do our best to address it. Um, we're not going to do a comment of the week this week uh, <laughs> because this is, as I said, a, a very different show from normal weeks. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you for joining us, guys, and make sure to tune in next week. I promise to be less of a downer. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>